Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Hey, with the guests, when it's, when it's us that can't handle the technical difficulties. <laughs> and we fixed it, and we're recording. See how that works, Cody? No, three, two, one, let's just roll. It's part of the authentic conversations. Um, You're so I guess I got my complaining out on the on the first take of this podcast. So maybe I shouldn't complain longer and just give give them another week. What do you think? I think so. Yes, it, we've had multiple people. I wanted. To, I'm, I'm going to list off a few names. First of all, I want these are the names of people who gave me their names: James, Matt, Nathan, Dave, Josh, Ryan, Dave literally the most rock solid list of american boys names ever james matt nathan dave josh ryan dave those are the people who as of this recording have sent a message to peach street letting them know that we talk about their um extra agave pretty much every episode because i like it so much um they also got some free stickers i think that uh, promotion is coming to an end at blood origin so that's not an option anymore but peach street has not replied to anyone yet, um, and we're going to hold judgment on a small business in Palisade, Colorado, um, before we. Fine, uh, fine. We're gonna we're gonna hold judgment. We're gonna. We're fine, gonna fine, 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 fine. Well, let's do another. Um, I like the whole sticker giveaway because we have some really cool stickers, some real cool die cut stickers, and some magnets that you can put on your fridges and whatnot. Um, and people seem to respond to those. So uh, what we'd like you to do is, if possible, uh, if you go on Apple Podcasts, give us a review of this podcast, uh, tell uh, what, what you like about what we do, and then give us a rating. A five-star rating would be most acceptable. Um, prefer nothing less. Um, and if you do that, screenshot your review and your five-star rating and send it to info at bloodorigins.com or text it to Cody at... 620-860-4804. You can text us anything you want there, but take a screenshot of that review that you gave. Um, please send your address with it. We had to. Uh, we had a couple people say, 
send me my stickers. Here's my comment. Um, and then I had to ask for an address. So go ahead and throw that address in there and we'll, uh, we'll get you some, get you some blood origin stickers to show your love. No, and a magnet. So, uh, yeah, free stickers and a magnet. You, you can't, uh, what's the saying? You can't shake a loose stick at, at that, or you can't put yeah. a sharp stick in someone's eye, or yeah. uh, a, a squirrel finds an acorn, a blind squirrel finds an acorn every so often. Exactly. Your your mastery of American idioms is uh, just un, un mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Un, unrefuted. Hundred. I think we lost our guest. I do, too. I think she has some... Uh, connection problems that's all right we've got uh you want to cover okay so look we're a little podcast right yeah we are a little podcast for sure we had a total of between emails and texts we had a total of 61 interactions on the podcast in the now keep them keep this in mind in response to the last roundup, which we're recording this roundup only 48 hours after the, re- not not even 48 hours yeah. after the release of the previous roundup. Um, so I've got a couple, couple of really important ones that I need to hit. Um, three, I, I'd like to just read a couple of lines from a few of the texts. Um, one of them says, hello, fellows, Tim again, I have to correct Robbie. Yeah, I think I said that no, there were no mountain lion hunting in Washington State. No, you called. I think that was no, right. you called Ontario a state, and it's not. It's a oh. it's a province. Ooh, our guest is back. She's with, back. She made some incredible robot noises coming in there. Um, the next one is uh, from Todd. <laughs> Todd. Todd starts his text with good morning, Cody. I must say, I agree with you about hunting, about using hunters to eliminate pigs in Ontario. Um, the next one says, I also need to say that I lead towards agreeing with Cody. I just, I just wanted you to just. What, what the hell's going on here? I just well, to, you're just cherry picking. You're cherry picking texts and emails that are saying, I agree with Cody. Ali, come on. No, it's an it's an intense theme in the interactions from our listeners. It's no, 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 you and agreeing uh, with me. Two two out of sixty one is not a theme. I just pick. I just cherry pick some of the best. There's it's probably like fifty eight or fifty nine of the sixty one, but these these three, for sure. Um, uh, also, Todd Todd sent me. You remember last week when I said there was someone that was interacting with us on text, but I didn't know their name. Mm. Todd sent, hey, this is Todd from Rapid City, a former Roundup guest. I realize I'm forgettable. And I'm like, Todd, there was just no name in the text. Like, I like I memorized Todd's phone number. So, I, I, Todd, I completely remember when you were on podcast number 126 as our Roundup guest. I did not forget you. Um, I'm just saying that uh, if you don't put your name in a text, with, then... I'm not, I don't, I don't know who you are. Um, Dave Gittleson, Texas. Dave Gittleson, also one of the folks that uh, sent, sent uh, Peach Street Distilleries a message. Dave's up close to him. He could, or relatively close to him. He could swing by Palisades and grab a bottle if he wanted to. Um, Dave, do you remember that I said, um, I think we dealt with this last week. I said Yellowstone should be a wilderness kind of half-ass. Dave sent us a text saying it shouldn't be a wilderness because people should be able to see it. I, I pretty much agree with him, but I just get sick of the cars when I'm there. That was my entire point on on that deal. Pretty Do much, I think we're close to a point where maybe a couple of weeks out of you driving to Palisade, Colorado. Oh, 100% because I only got half a bottle left. Yeah, Ali, what do you think? Should he drive since we've got no response back from Peach Street Distillers? I mean, I would. I'm real close. I'm two hours north of them. I could take a cruise down. We should, the send, we should send Ali to knock on the door and say, yeah. hey, what's up with your uh, social media people? Social media, website, contact form, everything. We also got some uh, very interesting texts 
um, that I think will probably lead to future episodes. Um, they came in today of some people kind of shedding some light on some issues. Um, but I think, uh, I think that, uh, we, 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 Dave Gittleson become a regular texter. Dave is the rancher in Colorado who I don't believe is now the only one, but was the first one to have, uh, depredation from wolves in Colorado on his cattle. Um, mm -hmm. and another text that Dave sent us this week, which it was kind of, I'm convinced like there was some shenanigans, but the timing was very weird that our guest that we have now, Ali, had sent us a uh, a message. And Dave almost, within within like three hours, Dave sent our text messages a message saying that Ali is a person that we should talk to. Um, so Ali, what, what if you, uh, quick introduction and, uh, in that introduction, tell us why Dave Gittleson would recommend you as a guest. So I'm Allie, um, and I've been a government trapper for the U S department of agriculture and my, I've primarily been doing wolf work. So I did wolf work in Oregon and then I came to Colorado and once the wolves started, uh, depredating and harassing cattle, uh, they kind of shipped me up there um, with the minimal funding we had, but I've been going up there since January and dealing with the wolves. So the first depredation, we put up some turbofladry, which deterred them until we took it down and moved it to the calving pasture. And then since then, they've adjusted to it and are back to depredating. All right, hold on, hold on. I got a question. Yeah. Did you just call it Colorado? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did. All that interesting stuff that we should be talking about—that's what stuck in my brain too. I'm going to be honest. Ali, where are you originally from? Because that is certainly not a Colorado accent. Colorado. Uh, I'm from New England, so back east. New England, huh? Did you and you grew up hunting? Yep. Yep. So I have a I have a fair bit of influences. Um, my dad, my uncles, my cousins, um, then some family friends, Grandpa Archie, Heath Grimes, Don Warren Grimes, Donald Grimes. So I have I have a lot of influences in each aspect of my hunting experience, uh, but mostly trapping and hound dogs has been my background. Trapping and hound dogs in New England. Yeah, northern Maine. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yep, yep. So we can run bears with hounds. We can. We're the last state in the continental U.S. to still be able to legally trap bears recreationally. So and is your then, family in Maine? So my parents have a house in Sherman Mills, and then my parents have another house in Central Massachusetts. Okay, okay, okay. So let me ask this question because I'm fascinated. Because obviously, growing up in South Africa, Cody, I don't know what it's like growing up. I, you know, you obviously entered into the Marine Corps really early as a as a young man, and I'm sure that's something that like young men want to be in South Africa. That's not one of the things, right? Policeman, firefighter, lawyer. We want to be game rangers. We want to be that person who takes people around and shows them elephants and lions and all that kind of stuff. So, how does a girl from New England obviously grows up in the hunting culture? How does she become a government trapper? Because I'm well, sure a bunch of people out there are like, oh, I want to do that. Well, you know, a lot of people do say that to me. They're like, you have the dream job. And I'm like, well, the grass ain't always greener on the other side. Uh, you know, we're still the government. But um, I don't know. So I went to college for wildlife management. My master's degree is wildlife management. And I just kind of fell into it. I started trapping beavers in high school and it just kind of worked out. Uh, a state agency and for Fish and Wildlife Service would never hire me. And uh, Wildlife Services took me in and I've been with them since. So you started at Wildlife Services when? Uh, so I started after, after high school. I did some trapping in Maine, and then I went to college, and then full-time after college. So did they send you – again, I'm just incredibly fascinated. Did they send you to trapping school, or they just assumed, like, okay, this girl knows what she's doing, off she goes? 
Uh, no, they, you can, you can request to go to trapping school. It's, there's a trapping school in Illinois, I believe, but no, I didn't go to trapping school. I, uh, learned trapping from family, friends and whatnot, going with them, beaver trapping, fox trapping, coyote trapping, bobcat, fisher, all that stuff. So I just picked up on it super fast. And then they kind of, when you get hired by wildlife services, they kind of halfway give you the equipment they give you a truck and then they say all right you're on your own so you kind of figure it out along the way and i've worked in several state programs and so where did you start you started in oregon uh pennsylvania actually so we did uh a lot of whitetail management so in the parks like gettysburg valley forge fairmount uh you're not allowed to hunt there and there is a huge influx of whitetail deer, and then the CWD stuff is going on there. So we sharp shot whitetail, and then uh, a lot of goose and bear and beaver and all the stuff. And then I went to Oregon for wolf work. And this is the USDA APHIS Wildlife Services Animal Plant Health Inspection Service. Yes, sir. Yeah, I uh, have had the distinct pleasure of meeting uh, two directors of APHIS Wildlife Services in my career. One was Mississippi. Her name was Chris Godwin. Yeah. She's a badass woman. And then I met the, I, I believe I met the, there was a woman in charge in Colorado too. But this was maybe three or four years ago. So, uh, she might have been a district supervisor. Was it Kendra? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. But I met her here. She came down for the Sportsman's Caucus with the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation here in Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, but it's, it's funny. The three people that I know in the wildlife services ranks ha- are all female or all women, which I think Cody, wouldn't you think that would be like the opposite of what people think? Yeah, I think, you know, definitely a unique scenario. I think she's misleading too with the new England thing, right? Like when, when she says, it, do people consider Northern Maine, new England? Like that's where you, yeah. Oh, 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 hold on. Okay. So this gives it away. Shit, a brick. This is how bad. New England Patriots. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I know what New England. Yeah, New I, England Patriots aren't Northern Maine. No, 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 no. I, because I'm geographically challenged. Every every individual outside of the U.S. is geographically challenged to the states of the U.S. Okay, I couldn't list the fifty states. Okay. And here is how I'm going to show how authentic this podcast is and how honest we are, Cody. For a second, until you said what you said, Cody, I thought New England was a state. Oh, God. (laughs) I can't mute him or I would sometimes, Allie. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. I'm being honest. (laughs) I'm being honest. And that's why I kept asking. He's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Oh, you're in Maine? Have you got a house in Maine? Because I thought they were separate, but they aren't. It's just the area that includes multiple states. I get it now. It's a region, yeah. The region first settled by the English and, and therefore referred to as New England. But when you say you're from New England, I don't think – and I, I, I'm with you that technically Maine and would fall. but And then and then from Massachusetts, like that's a whole cycle of things, right? Like you – like, there's got to be very few – there can't be a ton of trapping left going on in Massachusetts. So the fact that you had access to, to Northern Maine is where that influence came. Like when you said New England, I was like, what the hell kind of weird path is this going to be? But there's not a lot of people from what Americans think of traditionally as New England, right? Boston, where the New England Foxborough, right? Where the Patriots are, in fact. There's not a whole lot of those people that became government trappers. I'm promising you right now. But when you have you added the northern Maine thing in, no, I, I think it's incredibly interesting. I have a lot of like questions that are going to bore our audience. I think, but like, why is there is there fish and wildlife service trappers and USDA trappers? So my knowledge of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is that if they do trap animals, it's strictly for collaring and study purposes. Like, whereas we're more lethal removal, unless we get assigned some type of collar project. Um, But Fish and Wildlife Service is mostly scientific studies. So they do trap and collar animals, but a lot of it's from 
helicopters and they operate that way. We're like, USDA is like your traditional old school trappers. Um, and is specifically APHIS and the wildlife services. That is like their mission is control of wildlife and their intersection with commercial industry, um, even uh, military installations. That's sort of their role. And is some of that yeah. done by contractors? And it's some of that is done by employees. Is there a, is there a blend there? Like I know some guys around here who at least claim and they seem like good people that they they do some government trapping. I mean, they're they have like uh, pest control businesses, but they also do some fairly large animal government trapping stuff. Would that be a USDA contract? No, that would be with your state program. So like a lot of programs like Arizona, for example, will contract out a houndsman to catch lions so that they can collar, uh, or private people that do want to do scientific research, private companies, um, they'll do the same thing. They'll contract out a houndsman. Um, that's how they do. But the USDA, we like, they're strictly, our mission is to, we protect agriculture, natural resources, human health and safety, and then all airports. So military airports and then just your regular commercial airports. Um, just, for the record, just for the record, uh, the reason we're talking to you today is that you have very recently resigned from your government job. I did. And that is why we are able to talk to you. Yeah, the government doesn't love employees to do podcasts. I mean, you can get approval, but you have to go through the chain of command and process. Mm -hmm. But once you're free, you're you're kind of good to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we wanted to talk to you about today. Obviously, we wanted to dig in. This isn't going to be a typical roundup. I, I do have one article that I do want to discuss, Cody, before we get into the the meat of what we brought Ali on to discuss. Did you see that article? Uh, in the, it was in the Cowboy Times, but there was a several different versions of the article circling around the AP, in which the Fish and Wildlife Service is considering listing Yellowstone bison on the Endangered Species Act in, as an endangered species. Look at Ali's face. Holy smokes. Yeah. Does it give a does someone from Fish and Wildlife give a justification? I have not seen the article. Really? I sent it to you. Oh, I don't think you did. Yes, sir. You haven't looked at your emails in today. So Yellowstone bison being considered for the endangered species list. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced on Friday. The service recently completed a 90-day finding of three petitions. We can probably figure out where those petitions came from. To designate the Yellowstone bison, which are a segment of the Plains bison that are in portions of Wyoming, Montana, is threatened or endangered under the Endangered Species Act. What a crazy idea that would be. Number one, what are they going to do with the 800 to 900 bison they have to cull every year? They wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Number one. Number two, okay, let's look at the silver lining of this cloud. Okay, the 800, 900 bison now need to go into quarantine for brucellosis to then get moved off somewhere else. Are they still considered endangered if they get moved off somewhere else? That's a, that's a uh, really ridiculous – the coal is what's driving that, I'll guarantee you. The petition is being driven by someone who doesn't want that coal to happen. Um, and so they saw a way to do that, make make the coal illegal, is to get the meat. Yeah, not right. necessarily, because if they do their NEPA right, they can throw a 10J in there, and you're still allowed to lethally remove wildlife on the ESA under the 10J listing. Isn't there That's a 10J listing for wolves? Uh, so there is in certain states, so Oregon right now, because they relisted wolves again uh so the only three states that are off the esa is wyoming montana 
and Idaho. Idaho. Yep. Eastern Washington and Eastern Oregon, but 395 West, they're on the ESA in Oregon, and I don't know if the 10J rule applied, but there's 10J rules out there. Walden, they're trying, it, so it, it's considered, the 10J makes it an experimental population, which Correct. means you can't lethally remove. Which is what Colorado wants. That They're trying. I don't know how it's going to work out. Uh, the NEPA process takes years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very familiar with the NEPA process. So, think, but, yeah, they're trying. You think you guys could drop down off of Nerdville and tell us what a 10J and NEPA is real quick? <laughs> All right, I'll start with NEPA. Abby, you can handle the 10J. NEPA is this thing called the National Environmental Protection Act. And really what NEPA is designed for is to ensure that you are really thinking through the activity and the action that you're about to implement so that you're not doing irreparable harm to the environment or sort of significant harm, that you've thought through all of the potential alternatives, all the things that you could possibly do other than the action that you're seeking to, in, uh, to implement. That is NEPA. It has its benefits. It has its downfalls. It certainly costs everyone a lot of money and a lot of time to undertake it. Ali, would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. It's super time-consuming. It costs a fortune. And then the 10J just makes an experimental population, which allows lethal removal. So it's pretty simple. Not every species gets the 10J, but a lot of predator species do. Like That's why the grizzly bear can be lethally removed. They're still on the ESA, but places like Montana do lethally remove grizzly bears, and that's <gasps> under 10J. I know. No, they don't. One today. They got one. Oh, really? Yeah. One today? Yeah, there was one today in my newsfeed. So I think the big question that's floating out there is, Allie, why don't you work for USDA anymore? No, she wants to build uh, gas. She wants to build. No, sorry, not gas grills, because that was my 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 connection with Ali before we started. She wants to build some awesome grills called the Sherman grills. Tell us about them. Yeah, so and then we'll get to why you don't work for the USDA anymore after we deal with Sherman grills. Go ahead. Well, so I I left the agency. Um, just. I was kind of to the point where I was just kind of wanting other things in life. And, you know, uh, when you work for the USDA, you're at the mercy of your ranchers and it's 24 seven and you're on call all the time. And I'm female and my age is changing. I'd like to, you know, pursue other things. And I also, my family and I, uh, created a Sherman cooker and that stemmed from heck. I was just a kid teenager and we took a old tractor tire ram and then an old grate and welded it together and threw some wood in there and we'd cook back straps off of it and whatnot and finally we convinced my old man because he owns a manufacturing corporation to actually start creating these things because everybody who came to hunting camp and whatnot always was like can you make me one can you make me one so we decided to go full cast iron and we named it the Sherman Cookers because our house in Maine is in Sherman Mills, Maine, and that's where it originated from. And uh, so I'm uh, pursuing that, um, really trying to get it out there and starting to go that route. And I can't do that working for the government. And it just kind of just kind of all came to head and all in God's plan really at the end of the day and it just kind of worked out that way and I decided to leave it feels like a breakup I've been with the agency for so long and how long have you weird. been with USDA so part-time through like in high uh, after high school and then full-time after college so I graduated college in 2009 so what you got 15 years yeah but part-time a lot of beaver trapping done bears beaver coyote mountain lion wolf white-tailed deer goose I, there isn't much i haven't done but i've also worked for multiple state programs but i'd say oregon was my favorite even though it was wolf work which is a conflict for me internally um why do you say that i want to know more about that statement specifically 
All right. Uh, well, let's get real. So I, uh, I'm obviously a wildlife biologist by trade uh, yep. in my schooling. So in in my wildlife biologist heart, um, you love animals. I, I, well, I am fascinated with predators and the chess game that you have to play with them. And my entire, my entire brain is about conflict and how to deter conflict. So that's kind of how I operate. And wolves, they're so new to me and a lot of other people, relatively speaking, because we basically eradicated them, that it's, you know, all the studies are from national parks and that's not reality. Mm. And then oh, everybody focuses on the tri-states, which is Montana, Idaho and Wyoming. But at the end of the day, the most knowledgeable wolf people are from the Great Lakes. And so I just am fascinated with them as a species and how they operate and the studies that have been proven wrong about them, the studies that have been proven right about them, everybody's opinions, the contention, the emotional baggage with them. However, as a houndsman and a hunter, I have serious contention with the lack of management of these predators. And I, I, so I'm in, I'm in this weird, uh, I love them, but I hate them type of thing. (laughs) And it's a, it's, it's a strange thing to feel that way because part of me is biologist, part of me is houndsman and they do a lot of damage to hound dogs and. So, Addie, go ahead, Cody. I don't think it's that strange, honestly. I, I think I think you you probably in your role saying it out loud, it was very strange. I'd go so far as to say I think the majority of the country would fall into your camp of yeah of their just insanely fascinating, right? Like the whole canine species, obviously, just as essentially dominates humans, right? Like the amount of money and time that we put into dogs. Like, I I think everyone is fascinated by them. I think a whole bunch of the country realizes that we have to manage them as well, right? Like, we, we, we didn't have to manage them 200 years ago, but 330 million people that we're trying to feed. And I mean, there, I, I, I think that I, I fall in the exact same camp that seeing them in the wild and, you know, I, in Idaho last year, I never actually saw one, but we hunted, I mean, just constantly walking in sign, right? There was wolves everywhere that there, there had been not while we were there, but there had been, we were mule deer hunting. I mean, that's, that's, that's a goosebump thing for a kid from Kansas, right? Who still gets halfway excited about seeing a coyote out in the field. But the, the, I, I think that that uh, conundrum that you're feeling is really where all of the logical people on this, the, 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 anyone that feels one way or the other outside of where you're at is, is on the extremes of this issue. Yeah, I agree with that. And you could talk to, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have lost considerable amounts of money to wolves who are still blown away fascinated and are working their asses off to not be a shoot shovel and shut up type of person they, they don't want to be that they, they don't they, they want to find a way to coexist um so I, I don't i don't think it's a conundrum the way you feel i think probably it felt really weird to feel that way in your job um but uh i, I think most of us feel that way I agree. It's a, it's kind of a, it's like a spiritual existence. So in May, uh, in Oregon, I was a range rider. So I slept on the mountain six days a week, seven days a week with these cows and I never left them. I just showered in cricks. I slept in my horse trailer. Um, I ate a lot of dehydrated food and jerky and I just had to keep the wolves away from these cows. And I have so many videos of it being like 9.30 at night and I got my horse tied up and I'm just got my bedroll out laying with the cows and there are wolves sounding off. And it at the first time I ever heard it, the hair on my neck stood up and I was like, this is eerie. And then it got to the point where it was like this weird spiritual 
like feeling. And it's like, I almost felt like back in those days when those old trappers would hear those wolves and it was like, or the Native American cultures with the wolves. And it was just, it was weird. And then, so I was there for years doing this from April to the end of November. And the rogue pack actually started trying to figure me out. So we'd play tango a little bit. Like they wouldn't, they would come out in the road or whatever, or a big open spot. And they would just sit down and like watch me. And I was like, I don't really know if I'm going to handle this, but. So at that point you weren't allowed to lethally remove. All you were doing is where you were a deterrent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So I was a range rider. So I just, I sat with the cows. I was basically just a cow sitter. But I would, I would track these wolves and I would give all the data to ODFW and uh, did a lot of livestock investigations, um, stuff like that. And uh, they would, uh, they would, they would just watch you. It was super weird. And they started like trying to figure you out just as you're trying to figure them out. But you constantly have to be ahead of them. This is why I say it's a chess game because you have to figure out, you know, they make these big loops. So, like, they'd be back to the same set of cows after seven days. So, I basically had to be ahead of them mm-hmm. and do a lot of the deterrence and uh, mainly just being there. They, If I was there, they wouldn't really depredate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also did night hazing in the Wood River Valley once all the yearlings got uh, pastured up. And so, we had to drive the fields and deter them with guns. That's generally when they would do the killing. Um, I never had a kill on my watch. I don't know why. I just, I just would just make a lot of noise. I'd have my music blasting. I'd be bombing around the fields and I used to, uh, bed the cattle. That's what I found to be the best. So I'd corner them. I'd use the fencing to my ability and I knew where their den site was. I knew where their rendezvous was. I knew where their entrance and exit points were. So basically I would just babysit it and the range riding is very fascinating because a lot of range riders that they like to hire are like cowboys or cowgirls and they're ranchers, kids and whatnot. And they know cows, but they don't have that predator mindset, which Mm -hmm. trappers and houndsmen come with. And I think that's a super valuable point because when you have a predator mindset, you're figuring out the predator and you just got to keep the cows safe. Like I'm not there to doctor cows. I'm there to keep them from getting killed by a predator. So game on. And then the other cool thing about the rogue pack and where I was, the rogue and the indigo pack, and then I dealt with a little in the east. But the cool thing was I ended up finding a lot more, an influx in mountain lion kills in wolf territory. So the wolves would kick lions off their kills, making the lions kill more. And in Oregon, you can't run hound dogs recreationally on mountain lions. So there's a big population over there. And so I just hand, I just kept handing data to the biologists of ODFW because we're not a research, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a researcher. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just a trapper. So I was just handing data like, guys, this is what's happening. This is what's happening because I'm out there and we're, mm-hmm. we're allowed to be out there. You know, we, we operate off ATV foot horses trucks we're allowed to do everything whereas a lot of the state agencies and other federal agencies are are pretty choked out in their ability to really get out there and what they do um so they Uh, use us a lot ali you obviously interacted with a lot of ranchers farmers from oregon to colorado that are that are interacting with wolves could you put a percentage of the people that, and I'll I'll put Dave Gillison in this in this group, that almost is like, I don't, I'm not in the shoot shovel and shut up kind of category. I like them, but I've got to figure out a way to interact with them. I've got to figure out a way to. Someone's got to help me, right? I'm I don't want to be that person. What what percentage of ranches are like that that you've interacted with? Ninety. The honestly, the shoot shovel shut up people are meant are hunters more than anything. Um, the ranchers, 
I mean, yeah, they joke around and they're like, shoot, shovel, shut up. But at the end of the day, they don't actually shoot, shovel, shut up. Uh, it's the hunting community that's really more into that mindset than anything. Um, my ranchers more or less just wanted to protect their cattle. They don't, they didn't care about much else. They obviously have hundreds of thousands. Some, some of them have millions of acres of land and they care a ton about wildlife. Um, I mean, Don Gilson is very, like, he's very knowledgeable about, you know, his antelope calving on his property and he doesn't want anything to affect that. And so like a lot of our ranchers are super involved in their wildlife. And, but at the same time, at the end of the day, their paycheck is their cows and that's their love and that's their passion. That's why they're ranchers. And they, they just want to be able to protect them. They don't want to eradicate. I mean, obviously you're going to have your extremists that are like, you know, kill everything, all predators gone. But they, at the end of the day, they just want to be able to protect their cows. And whatever that protection means to them is what it means, whether it's turbo floundry, whether it's range riders or whether it's lethal removal. Now, I am a firm believer in lethal removal because I firmly believe, and it's the same way with your house dogs or your hound dogs, that negative and positive reinforcement is, is a canid thing. Like canids need negative and positive reinforcement. So when you lethally remove wolves, other wolves are like, uh-oh, let's not do that. And you've it, seen it's that? A, like you've seen that in your yeah, line of work? Yeah, chronic depredating packs need to be lethally removed. There are wolves that kill cows and there are wolves that don't kill cows. And it's a learned behavior. And OR7 was a cow killer. OR7 was the alpha male of the rogue pack. He's the one that came all the way from Idaho. There's books about him. He did like 2,000 mile journey. Randomly met a, met a gal and settled in Klamath and Jackson County, Oregon. And he created the rogue pack because it was rogue national forest into Fremont Winema National Forest. And he was a cow killer and he taught his entire pack how to cow kill cows. And now all they do is kill cows. That's what they do. But there's the Indigo Pack just north of them, west of Crater Lake National Park. Um, they don't really kill cows, if at all. Yeah, there are cow killers and there are not. And I firmly believe that, I mean, in my opinion, first strike, you're out. But logically, biologically speaking, third time lethally removal. Just like they do for bears and lions. One tag, two tag, you're done. I feel like I'd be a cow killer. It seems to me <laughs> it seems to me like it's gotta be easier. I mean I'm not saying it's easy. I mean I know that a cow will put up a fight for a calf, but man, would I rather just sit on a hill and have my whole buffet right down below me in the valley as opposed to constantly chasing elk or mule deer around. So that's exactly what it comes down to. Elk and mule deer, antelope, they all naturally have that prey run instinct and they're really hard to hunt. Like the success rate is a lot, is a lot smaller. Whereas you go into a pasture, a fenced in pasture, mind you, of yearlings that are as dumb as it gets. I mean, you can't make it any easier to kill. And they run them into fencing. The cow gets caught up in the fencing, and then that's the end of it. That's why cattle are such a prime suspect for wolves, because once wolves figure out it's easy, they're always going to come back to that one ranch, and it's going to be a depredating ranch because it was easy. Yeah, the, you got, they got the lack of the predator-prey thing, and then, like you said, they also got the fence. I mean, the, the, yeah. the fence is a big thing as well. That yeah, cows, yeah, cows don't jump fences. Right. Elk, deer, everything else jumps fences. Right. Cows don't jump fences. So... Well, may, there might be a rogue one here and there, but like, it's a super hang up when it comes to that. So it's, it just makes sense. Like if I was a predator, I'd be revised all the time too. It's just, it's easier. They don't use as much energy. They know it's a kill site. It's essentially a bait site. Like for bears, bears always visit bait sites. Even if there's a ton of natural food, they'll always visit it. And it's the same thing for wolves. It's just a predator mindset. 
what's the process again this may bore the hell out of everyone else but i'm i my mind's racing like so you have a you have a dead cow like how do you a like i know this is probably more scientific than we want to get into but how do you confirm it's a wolf whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you're getting into a sign you're going about to open up science no i'm saying i don't i don't know if anybody else wants to know this shit but i do okay so this can be brief is what i'm saying <laughs> how do you know it's a wolf and then b how do you how do you then go get that wolf or how, how like say it's strike three how how do you like i don't understand how you know that or7 did it right so so when you do a wolf depredation or when you when you come up on a dead cow and it, you start doing an investigation it depends on which state you're in i'll go with oregon um because that's my most experience with wolf kills so what Oregon, ODFW at the end of the day had the, the say for whether it was confirmed wolf or not. So I had like a laundry list of things I had to check off in order to confirm it. All right, so go that through ODFW, that laundry list. I'm going to. So ODFW would say, yes, it's confirmed. So it's So what wolves do is wolves use their jaws and they break down the muscle tissue. So they go after the neck, the flank, and the rear end. And they chomp and chomp and chomp and chomp. And it it creates, it just breaks down the muscle so that the animal can no longer move. So once the animal is down, that's basically when they eat it alive. So say like a rancher, say they killed a cow in the, in the you know, three, four in the morning. And then a rancher was up and her, the wolves heard the tractor and took off. And then the rancher came out, saw a dead cow. They kind of either see a little bit eaten or fully eaten. It depends on the time. But basically how we start out is we look as to where the predator attacked. So canids always attack in the neck, the flank, and the rear. So, and then going from there, so that singles out mountain lion and bear. And then, and there's always exceptions to the rule, but for the general consensus of this, after that, you start measuring the teeth marks. So there's a ginormous difference between a coyote, a dog, and a, and a wolf. So after that, you start doing teeth marks and then you skin it out. And once you skin it out, you can see the giant mess on the muscles. It's like coagulated blood. It's hemorrhaging. It is it is messy. So once once you skin that out, and then you take pictures of the scene of the crime. Generally, when it's a you know when it's yearlings or cow calf pairs, and wolves come in, that mother cow like calving season up at Gittleson's, that mother cow is fighting for everything, and it's a mess, like. The grounds tore up. Everything's a mess. So you start looking for hair in fencing. You start looking for scat. You start looking for tracks. And then the scene of the crime. So you basically add all that up. And then you basically can confirm that it's wolf or coyote or bear or lion. So that's how we go about the process. And we have to do that with every single kill that we go into before we do anything with the predator. So what are your thoughts to this? Last week there was a... Uh, a photograph that circulated through the internet uh, quite virally through the hunting circle, which were the 120 sheep that got pushed into the canyon. None of them, obviously nobody, I don't know this to be true, but obviously none of them exhibited the bite mark situation that you just described, but rather it was, you know, a additional line of evidence that was like, this is how wolves also have an impact on agriculture, sheep or cows or, cow or calves or whatnot. Have you seen some of that happening? Because we talked to Dave about that. Like, you, as you said, you saw the, tor the ground tore up and this cow happened to stand on her calf. Not a, you know, and, and as what Dave talked about, she wasn't one of those serial calf killers like that, that typically stand on their calves. This one was like the first time she'd done it in nine years. So I've seen multiple scenarios. I haven't done much wolf sheep work. It's mostly been cattle for me. Um, but I've seen, I've, I've rode up upon eight cow elk just dead in one area and minimal bite marks but enough to know it's wolf and nothing really eaten just killed 
And I think that's just a game that they play. If you've ever watched a wild pack of dogs, if you've ever watched your own dogs, like with toys or anything like that, I mean, wolves are no different. Canids are canids, in my opinion. And so I've I've ridden across that. And as far as the sheep thing goes, I mean, wolves, wolves, like once the chase is on, it fires in their brain. Like that's what they want to do. They want to chase things. That's why, you know, the whole sick and the vulnerable, like the sick and the weak theory that a lot of activists like to talk about is kind of BS because it has, it's the vulnerable animal. So when the herd is moving and one drifts this way or one hangs back, yes, it could be the sick one, could be the old one, or it could just be the one that made a stupid decision and didn't stay with the herd and went out. Mm. And that's the one that they target. And so when I think they pushed the wolf, those two wolves started running those sheep, it obviously turned into a pileup and they were just starting the chase and it just went from there. And that happens, and I'm not sure how Idaho is going to handle it, but, I mean, that's going to be a reality in Colorado. It's going to be a reality. The sheepmen here, this is a big sheep area, and it's going to it's it's gonna be a big deal. That's going to happen because we have bluffs. We have cliffs up in the wilderness, and I can only see bands of sheep just getting ran off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know how much the... SAG committee and the, you know, all those committees for the, the wolf reintroduction are considering that, but it is seriously something that needs to be considered as far as the sheep industry goes. But remind me again, when are the wolves to be reintroduced? 1st of January, 2023 or December 31st? No, because now that they're re they're back on the endangered species act, they're under federal listing which means the feds fish and wildlife service has to do NEPA. So it's going to be a couple years before they're able to permit CPW to drop wolves. So that's kind of like a weird process right now. And that's why they're trying to push the 10 J for Walden. Those wolves that came down from Wyoming, um, because that's the reality right now is everybody's worried about the reintroduction, but we already have wolves here and they're already depredating. So what are we doing about these wolves? Mm-hmm. Robbie butted in and didn't allow you to answer the second half of my question on how do you know, how do you know, like, so say, say you have a depredation in any one of them, any general one, you have a dead cow, you do the work, it's wolves. What's the, like, how do you then, I don't get how you know, like, like, same thing with, uh, when, well, like say when a human gets eaten by a grizzly bear in Alaska and, and they say that Fish and Wildlife Service killed the bear and it was 700 miles back in the – I don't get the process of how you then know which wolves it was. Or is the whole pack just in trouble? The whole pack for that region is in trouble once the, the kill is confirmed to be a cow uh, – to be a wolf kill. So because wolves aren't like, like coyotes are just kind of all over the place. Uh, wolves are super territorial. So that pack in Walden, that's going to be their territory. And then a new pack will be next to it. So basically you just narrow it down. You're like, okay, it's this pack. And then I firmly believe in removing the whole pack, but there are agencies and disagreements with that. Um, and they'll just kill a couple of them. Uh, generally, if there's a dead cow, it's most likely the pack that's been there and eaten it. Um, okay, and then, they're kind, of, they're kind of all guilty at that point. And then to kind of tag on to what Robbie just said, but another point that I, um, uh, the the uh, agriculture side of things, the the cattleman side of things, a lot of times talk about you know, the non-compensated damage where, 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 and correct anything I say that's wrong. Okay. But they're really only getting compensated for a confirmed wolf kill while there's other, I realize this is what Robbie just said, but how much of that is out there? How much of the non-compensatable, how much, how much damage is being done that, that that isn't being compensated because it doesn't meet the criteria of it. I think more more than the actual depredation rate, in my opinion. 
So in Oregon, I told my ranchers they need to start recording everything. They need to record, and hopefully they have past data, like birth rates, uh, weight ratios, uh, the health of the cows, the stress levels of the cows. Um, I started telling them to record everything because at one point that data is going to be needed. And so I started telling my ranchers in Colorado that I was like, you guys need to record everything because you can compare pre-wolves, wolves, and then all of that will add up to something. But it's not really considered right now because they just sometimes pay for just a dead animal, but it has to be confirmed. And I don't, I don't agree with a confirmed consensus because predators are predators. They're wild animals. It's never going to be by the book. It's not law. It's not fact. It's not gospel. It's, it's, they're never going to do it by the book. Like we, we think everything works by the book. And so I disagree with having to confirm it. I think it should be, uh, yeah, this was likely wolves for sure. And then take it from there because there's a lot of instances and there's been a lot of depredation investigations I've done where I've been like, Oh, it's wolf, but it's not A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, you know, on the list. Like I've got five boxes checked instead of 20. And so I disagree with the confirmed get paid. I think it should be like, absolutely not wolf because i've done plenty of investigations where it was not wolf but my rancher was convinced it was wolf and it was not and then I've how done often is that how often is that the rancher is like insistent like it's wolves more, more than you think okay uh, more than you think uh, a lot of times like the hype of the wolf or a wolf might be in the area or someone a hunter told them wolves are in the area or something so it's in their head that wolves are here and they'll be like, it was wolves. And it's like, no, that was coyote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or that was, mm-hmm. that was a lion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does happen. But for the most part, it's it's a wolf kill for sure. Um, it's just the criteria agency-wise agency is so by the book and strict that it doesn't always allow for it. But Wyoming and Montana have really got it figured out where it's like, okay, yeah, this is probably wolf. It's a potential, a probably, and they pay it out. And they also do multipliers. So it depends. But again, it's a long process. I'm not even sure if Gittleson's even been paid yet for his first kill. Mm-hmm. It's a process. Mm-hmm. And then the whole funding for it, I mean, when, wh- who's paying for it at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating, man. It is fascinating. It's deep, and it goes far. Like in Colorado, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife pays for depredations. At what point, which comes out of the general fund, essentially, at what point is that money going to dry up when it comes to bears, lions, Mm -hmm. wolves? Mm -hmm. Like, when is it going to flip? Whereas in Oregon... It was paid by Oregon Department of Agriculture, which had, you know, federal money and state money and whatnot from farm bills and stuff. So it's it's very intriguing how each state pays it out. I mean, for a while there in Wyoming or Montana, Defenders of Wildlife was paying for depredations. So it's, I don't, I find the payment part fascinating, especially when it pertains to predator hunting being such a contentious topic and a huge radar hit for activists to recreationally remove. So if there's no predator control, there's no management of these predators, at what point is this going to be just a, a complete slaughter of all ungulates? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think all ungulates are going to be slaughtered. I, I don't agree with that. However, I mean, at what point, I mean, humans winter kills, road kills, at what point is all of these things going to have like a really bad effect on the ungulates, including cattle and sheep and other livestock? Mm-hmm. Like at what cost? And why is one animal more important than the other? It's a fair statement. I got, I got one more question I got to ask, and then I'm done with my wolf geek questions. And, and I don't know if there's an answer to this. Do you think 
that in places where people have the ability to have a tag in their pocket and shoot a wolf in a legal hunting scenario, that it can solve some, that it, that it does anything good for the depredation problem. Yes. Okay. Yes. If you look at states like Idaho and Montana that have introduced recreational hunting and trapping of wolves, depredations have gone down. And there's still yep. healthy wolf populations. In, in, in yes. Like more, more than healthy in both of those states for sure. Yeah, we saw the Idaho numbers from last year. They took 440 wolves and the estimate of the population was 20 above the year before. Yeah. And honestly, it puts the fear of God in them. So it gives them a little bit more like, uh-oh, humans shoot at me or humans kill my friends or whatever it is, their minds. It, it, it creates, a, it's, again, going back to that negative and positive reinforcement. If you're constantly shocking your dog, he's not going to come near you anymore. Or, you know, however it is. If you're beating your dog, he's going to be weary. So if you're shooting at wolves, if you're killing wolves, they're going to be weary of people. The problem is, is when there is none of that, they are not scared of you anymore. They'll just walk out in the field and be like, hey, what's up? Like, they don't care anymore. And when that, that's what creates the dangerous scenario of depredations or maybe human attacks and stuff like that. I mean, you can, you can talk to the old timers in Montana and they'll say that the park grizzly bears are the worst bears to deal with compared to the, just the wild bears. They say the park bears are a nightmare. And it's, it has to be the influx of human like interaction they're comfortable they're habitualized to humans and it doesn't it doesn't uh yeah to, to me it's honestly to me the single biggest argument in favor of wolf hunting of predator hunting um is the dehabitualization of effect of it um and and that it's the greatest tool in management that i i don't want to wipe them out I also don't want them comfortable sitting on my front porch, you know, to exaggerate for effect. I'm exaggerating for effect right there. Um, no, but it's true. And, and to me, it's the single biggest argument that if they be, if, if they become accustomed to, which wolves probably will faster than any other predator if it's with their intelligence level, they'll be, if they become accustomed to that two legged thing right there is trying to hurt me or can, or has the ability or can legally do that. Um, I think we reduce a lot of the conflict, um, not eliminate it, not get rid of it, but, but lessen it a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you watch, like, I know this is totally probably ridiculous, but like dances with wolves is the perfect example of it. I mean, that's what happens. Donnie Vincent actually talked about it. I can't remember if it was in a podcast or maybe an interview but he talked about when he worked for the fish and wildlife service up in alaska doing salmon studies he spoke about this wolf that started hanging around paying attention to him and basically adjusted to him really well and he stopped carrying around a shotgun because he's like all right this thing isn't going to attack me and it was this weird interaction between wolf and human which has been centuries long that's why it's such a contentious topic. And so, I mean, and I experienced that in, with the rogue pack in Oregon, that alpha female, she would just hang around me. I have thermal imagery video of her 20 yards from me, just walking around, watching me, just studying me, trying to figure me out as I'm trying to figure her out while trying to get her away. Um, it's, it's a super interesting scenario. And that's why I think negative and positive reinforcement, just like with your house dogs, is necessary. I think the, you just nailed a, a, you know, the thing on the head. And I keep using, I keep referring to this book called Monster of God. I don't know if you've read it, Abby. Monster of God by David Quammen. He talks about alpha predators of this world and how humans are connected with these alpha predators. And especially with wolves, to the scenario that you just described, you either have this connection with them well, from an ancestral perspective, you do have this connection because you're both alpha predators, but there's also a competitiveness to the interaction because we were after the same prey species, essentially, at the end of the day. Man, yeah. it's, um, it's amazing. 
It's amazing. It's real cool. And like listening to them sound off howling at night is like one of the most eerie, spiritual, freaky, scary, amazing, like soul, weird sounds ever. And I've never talked to someone that has spent time with wolves that didn't feel the same thing, even if they were hunting them. Like they were like, I get it. Like it is weird. I can't explain it. It's just a freaky thing, but it's a it's a thing. And I will ask this question to final to sort of close us out. You do not want that that sound, that feeling to disappear. No, I mean, I'm not I'm I don't think wolf should be eradicated. Uh I just think I I'm a firm believer in management and lethal removal is important. And I'm a firm believer in lethal removal, but I don't think we need to eradicate, you know, all predators. I think that we, if we're going to be on this planet and we're going to keep building houses and buying land for production, not for, you know, just to look at or put cows on that other wildlife can sustain on. I firmly believe that management needs to happen and it just needs to be a responsible management. Well said. And that's, 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 I'll, I'll take that till the cows come home. I think everything needs management. Agreed. Well said. Thanks for your time, Allie. It was incredible. Heck yeah, thanks. Allie, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Till the next time. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.